Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. <laughs> because politics needed a rebrand. <laughs> Welcome back to Girl on the Go, the podcast, Wednesday edition and interview edition because we have an amazing interview and a guest and yesterday we did our top stories, so go listen to that, but we're here to give you another amazing interview with an elected official who Mm -hmm. is a badass woman in Michigan just doing the damn thing, so we will get into that in a little bit, but like there's some things to just like chat about and talk about that are the absurd things in this political world that I feel like just can't go unaddressed you know had us six feet under and let us know which one has you six feet under if they're not honestly all of them but which one's the worst let's see let's start with rep Glenn Thompson Glenny boy Glenny 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 rep Glenn Thompson house member Pennsylvania Pennsylvania, listen to this, attended his gay son's wedding three days after, 72 hours, after voting against same-sex marriage. (laughs) Make it make sense. Okay, there's that. Don't Don't get me wrong. But what I would pay to be a fly on the wall at that wedding. See, like, I am good on being invited to weddings for wedding's sake at this point. I've, I've had some good ones. I've had some boring ones. Whatever. But this, this is the wedding I want to be invited to because this is where the There's some happens. family drama. Yeah, 100%. If anyone by any means attended this wedding and would like to give us the 411 yeah. on how this went down. I want to like and- DM the son. I want to chat. How are you letting mm. your father attend this wedding? After he basically just voted saying he doesn't believe in it. I mean, the only thing, and this is getting really technical with politics, the only real excuse in my eyes is that he's just representing his constituents and like maybe they're, you know, on the side of not wanting to codify same-sex marriage, which I doubt, but like that's the only thing yeah, that like would what is his technically like? make sense because that's his job technically it's not necessarily about him and his personal beliefs but still it's just I see your point I definitely you know? see your point I otherwise it doesn't make sense at all <laughs> but even yeah but here's the thing too with that as much as I totally could see that line of thought the percentage in which that happens where someone's personal beliefs actually get put to the wayside for the sake of the constituents i mean would that be would that be great in some capacity 
in a lot you know or yeah in, in some capacities, capacities yeah. right sure by all means but like that never happens or at least it sure doesn't feel like it mm-hmm. i i can't think of, of a tale a story a little you know a chapter in a book where like the rep is like well i don't agree with my constituents but they voted they like this so i'll vote for it let me see if i can find like any type of quote from him on this vote that he made okay so the his press secretary madison stone just disgrace to madison's all over the place stone called the respect for marriage act nothing more than an election year messaging stunt for democrats in congress who have failed to address historic inflation and out of control prices at the gas pumps and grocery stores so still you're voting against same-sex marriage when your son is gay and getting married all so that you just because you don't want to give the democrats a win in an election year like it's just pathetic it's pathetic and like then it goes back to why the fuck are you in this position if you don't want to help people we look we have just in the last few minutes tried to rationalize this point of view (laughs) 10 ways to sunday and there really is no rationale for it besides that i will also be liking to get myself an invite to their thanksgiving because this yet again feels like a a holiday i want to witness yeah if you are a pennsylvania voter and potentially in Mm. homeboys district just uh, fyi again something to note but speaking of absurd things, this one, this one, I, this one really puts the last one up, up for for a real challenge. Because Matt Gates said a whole bunch of problematic things that were fat phobic, misogynistic, and here's like uh, literally one sentence of the longer speech along the same lines. But he basically said. On a stage, I don't even know where he was, but in front of... Oh, Turning Point. Turning Point. The yeah, their conference this weekend. Conservative BS conference and said this, quote, Why is it that women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions? No one wants to impregnate you if you look like a thumb. And then went along to say, why are you marching? You should be marching every day for an hour and eating salads. And like nobody, you're not going to have to get an abortion because nobody wants to impregnate you. And just talking out of his ass, misogynistic, fatphobic, just all these really nasty, terrible things. And that is a sitting representative in our House of Representatives. (laughs) Um, So yeah, there, there is that. I just, you know, there are so many ways to tell people that you hate yourself. And he Mm. did it in multiple sentences on a stage. We all make choices. His just never are good. So, and this is, this is like a few, a few down on the list of the most heinous things he's ever done in his life. I mean, number one being sexual abuse. Soliciting sex from a minor. Pedophilia. (laughs) Like. You know what's it's bad not unexpected when from him. a person on Pence's team is literally like throwing this guy to the wind and is like, I can't believe that he is still allowed in the state of Florida to be on stages of any type or in front of potential teens. Well, yeah, if you Pence's know it's team, bad. again, there's videos of 
more, you know, quotes from the speech that Matt gets did with just heinous, 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 heinous language. And he's just, he's up for election, correct? He is. And there is a Dem primary happening. Mm-hmm. Well, also Republican primary, but he's the the lead on that. So keep that in mind. Wild. But on the, wild. On the Dem side, there are actually two candidates. One is Rebecca Jones, who's actually being sued by the other candidate. So LOL. Anyways, Rebecca Jones is favored to win the August 23rd primary. Should she be able to stay on the ballot? There's a hearing on August 5th. Basically, the other candidate is suing her, saying she's not qualified to be on the ballot because of some part of, like, I guess her like party registration, registration. Within a year uh, something had changed look into I'll, I'll put the article in the description here we did a tiktok on rebecca jones's campaign she was like a whistleblower to dick santis which i think is super interesting nonetheless i also think what's really interesting here is like you have two dems in this primary and instead of fighting against matt gates, matt gates like he like it's clearly heinous you guys have a common enemy mm-hmm. if you're Fair running enough. for an ego why are you running in a district that's already going to be an uphill battle to win like this is going to be regardless of matt gates being the most heinous person alive or up there this district is very very red so yeah. winning this district is going to be a huge huge battle and most likely won't go to the dems but hey worth a shot any and every single time but like now we're just fighting with each other it's just weird to me it is it is well go check out the video if you want to be really (laughs) angry but honestly I feel like this quote alone is also shut the fuck up and stop calling women ugly or fat and if you want me to destroy your appearance sir I would never let that man touch me so (laughs) no Anyways, next one is Josh Hawley running for his life on January 6th. You haven't mm-hmm. seen the video. There was a video from the January 6th hearings showing Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri running through the halls of Capitol Hill running for his life. And we also made a TikTok on this, Samantha did. And Sorry, um, the audio I- quality is shit. So not sure what my phone was I was doing. actually, what was that? Was there like I don't an air know. conditioner? I was like trying to figure it out and then I re-downloaded and re-uploaded it and then it made it worse. And then at that point I was like, all right, I'm just going to leave it. But the TikTok highlighted that the Missouri Dems are planning a Josh Hawley inspired 5K, which is just iconic. We love it. And this is the type of marketing we love to see. Like, mm-hmm. this is smart. This gets people out. True. So, But again, super funny video of Josh Hawley just with his his run is so funny too so so bad you know that's an ick of mine actually some like sometimes when you see a man like on a on a run Mm. you're like why do you run like that (laughs) why do you run like you know what you know what mine is with that it's when they have a really bad wedgie with (laughs) the like okay I don't know why this is like you can ask like any of my past boyfriends they think I'm like so annoying with this like I literally don't have my passport (laughs) (laughs) I think I've asked like all of them I'm like I don't understand like how you wear like you have boxers like you have like two pants on they're all bunched and then as they're running it's like bunched in the butt 
Oh, I've never and noticed, but clearly we know where Sam's eyes go when just... man runs by. <laughs> this is I... not going to go well for me. Just... No, it's definitely an ick of mine. And if I were in any type of situation with Josh Holly, which I obviously wouldn't be, and I saw this man run, I'd be like, that's it. That's, that's it. it. Throw it in the towel. Absolutely. Um, but nonetheless, next one. <laughs> One more, just like T came out of January 6th hearings, are the Trump outtakes. If you guys haven't watched some of these, like you are absolutely missing out. But- you know what? I wonder with this next one if this becomes someone's blooper for mm. our Fast Five. I would, yeah, I, it should for sure. But the other thing that came out, and Melania Trump did a Fox News interview, and she basically was talking about like January 6th and where she was, what she was doing, and basically said, like, she would have, you know, stepped in if she was, if she knew what was going on. But she said that she was unaware of the ongoing riot on January 6th because she was busy photographing a rug in the White House. This is giving okay. all the I don't care jacket moments, you know? It so is. And not to defend her. Okay, I'm obviously not. But I think I like lightly relate though here of like <laughs> the amount of times I'm like shooting something and like, it could be you. It could be anyone else is like texting me or like things are going. I'm like, ignore, ignore. This is, I have to get the shot. Content comes first. The content comes first, you know? And I, yeah, I have been this person before. Not in a situation where like, I don't know, the country is under siege by um, white supremacists. I can't say that. But have I ignored a call or two while trying to get, you know, an ideal shot with the right lighting? Sure. Guilty. Guilty. Did I just ignore my father's call because I'm recording this content? Yeah, sure did. Bingo. There it is. <laughs> there it is. I also her. have seen Was that a that Zara jacket? jacket? I can't remember. Or it was it was H&M. Zara. Mm, I think it was Zara. I can't remember. But there was like so many. You know, those were just kind of a, without even the writing on the back. That was like a popular style of jacket that year. And I still, to this day, continue to see versions of that anytime I go to like a TJ Maxx. And mm. I love a TJ they made Maxx, some FYI. So just saying. Wait, I yeah. just want to say really different fast. Things, but mm. that there is a, a hop man outside my window <gasps> on a run. And he's about to run. Let me see if it gives me that. Okay, egg. let's evaluate. Let's evaluate. Oh, he's walking. He's done. Oh. He tapped out. He's got a hot walk, okay. though. He's got some swag. That um, could be a thing, too. The The walk is also walk a thing. The walk is huge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because it's more of what it is. It's not. really make you. But it it's almost like the setting of, like, confidence. Yeah. Like, I can it's tell swag. how confident. Yeah, totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's something about a jog. You know where we're going next time you're in the city? We're west, going. Westside Highway? Yeah, we're going Westside Highway. I know. I, I've been there. I've seen it. Anyways, we got to talk about Disney. Yeah, Disney is back, obviously backs the streaming service Hulu. And they're actually refusing to run political ads on the central themes of Democratic midterm campaigns. So like abortion, guns, the January 6th attack. And this is like a big, this is like the Democrats' biggest marketing. These are the biggest marketing moments for them. Yeah. And they're not airing these ads that have to do with these issues, which is obviously making Democratic candidates and party leaders very upset because Hulu, I would say, is one of, if not the biggest, like, streaming service. I feel like Netflix, obviously, but they don't run ads, you know? Like, Hulu has, like, the regular cable TV shows that people watch. If they don't have actual cable, they have Hulu and they, like, you know, watch there. So this is huge. I feel like 
because yeah. again especially for young people because I feel like young people majority have streaming services not cable totally totally and interestingly enough one of the Dems running that's pointing this out is Suraj Patel and he is running in New York and he's running against the now crazy primary situation of Jared Nadler and Carolyn Maloney aka another hat in that ring and anyways he has like brought a lot of attention to this being like excuse me this is kind of freaking ridiculous because obviously it is I wonder Let's also if that see would if they've made a statement. Okay, so Hulu and Disney have not yet responded to this. So interesting to see. I mean, this is also a conversation around social impact. Go listen to our mm. episode with Jameer Burley. And I mean, big corporations like this too. I mean, there are there is change you can make. There are ways to put pressure on these companies too. Well, just we can get into our interview before we do oh. just a remind what i i do have a shout out slash correction slash oh yeah comment okay so you guys know we are like terrible at pronouncing things and terrible. we tried 10 different ways i mean i think our, our last whatever we were just saying i'm sure there are about 10 of them um oh yeah we so- also i said matt gets you said matt gates we're not sure which it is. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's Gates. If anyone has a really definitive answer on that. And I think like, it's Gates too. I just, I went to school with a girl with, and her last name was Getz, but it was spelled very similar. Interesting. But I don't, I fuck, I don't know. I don't sound anything outright. And to the story you're about to say is a perfect example of that. Cause I was so sure I was right yesterday and, and I corrected I, you and I was still wrong. <laughs> We were both wrong. <laughs> so, um, if anyone wants to find two people who had really low grades in language, <laughs> language it's not. Was that a class? I didn't take language. Well, That's probably the problem. I mean, I didn't do great in guy. French. Did terrible in te- Italian. Did terrible in Spanish. Um, I just did terrible in all classes, honestly. <laughs> in high school, it's terrible. Nonetheless. Yesterday, we were talking about a little story with this anti-choice Texan that was endorsed by Pelosi. Henry, we said, how do we pronounce it? Cooler, I think. You said, like, you said it like Euler or something. Like, you didn't say <laughs> Ferris the, Bueller, the cup. but Cooler. Or you said, like, Sular or something. I said Cooler. And I was so um, sure. I was like, excuse me, it's Cooler. Well, no, the- it wasn't. The big thing with this story is we were both very wrong. And (laughs) our amazing listener, Hannah, decided to let us know. So we love you. So thank you. Apparently, I wrote this out, like the pronunciation, and I think I'm still going to fuck this up. But it's just my way queer. Wait, that's not it. Queer. Queer. See, I. Should we play her just message really fast? Okay, hi. Love y'all's podcast. Because we should come to today's episode and just wanted to say that Henry Cuellar's last Cuellar. name is pronounced Cuellar. The only reason I know that is because I used to fuck it up all the time. <laughs> so. awesome. Respect. Love you guys. Respect. So now we know and guess what? I already forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, go check that out in our top stories. We talk about the Senate and House business this week, so don't miss that. And we also talk about an AP poll that came out about some SCOTUS reforms that mm. 
it's looking like a lot of Americans are on the same page about a lot of this stuff. So go check that out. And then we also talk about monkeypox because we believe in vaccines here at Girl on the Gov. Well, we and do. the World Health Organization is saying that we need them. So go listen to our top stories from yesterday to hear all about those top stories and some more commentary from yours truly. But <laughs> let's get into our interview. At your own risk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> our interview. We've been waiting for this one too. Like this has mm-hmm. been in the works and we are so, so, so excited to have Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson on. Can you give us a little intro? Yes, let's get into it. So as Maddie said, we have Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson on the show this week. And for those that don't know, she's Secretary of State of Michigan. Michigan is literally like Big the powerhouse deal. Central. We've got AG Nessel, aka go back and listen to that episode. Get the four one on one attorney general suit. Wait, attorneys general. See, I finally got it. I corrected <laughs> myself. <laughs> attorneys general. Michigan also has Gretchen Whitmer, who is their governor, another powerhouse. And in that executive branch, we also have the amazing Jocelyn Benson, Secretary of State. So this episode, you can guess, we talk all about Secretary of States, what they do, why they are so vital in protecting democracy, and why turning out to vote for these roles is so important this year. We get into it. So without further ado, here is Secretary of State Benson. We are beyond excited to chat with you because the amount of people that have told us that we need to have a conversation with you, I don't have enough fingers and toes. So we <laughs> are excited that we finally, you know, we got it on the books and to get this conversation started. And for people that don't know, you are Michigan's Secretary of State. And what we really want to do with this conversation is make sure people know what that role is, what it does, why they need to know it and all of that. So to start things off, can you tell us what that job does? What is it? What does it entail? Basically, I'm the, I'm the chief voter advocate for Michigan. I'm in charge and oversee all of all democracy related things from campaign finance reports to actual voting itself to the announcement of the unofficial and subsequent official results of our elections. So I'm the chief election officer. And then in addition to that, I also run the DMV, which makes me very, very popular. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm the chief motor vehicle administrator. And so everything related to licensing our drivers and vehicles. And I also have in that regard, 130 branch offices all throughout the state of Michigan that, that, that furthers that function. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Well, what's like a typical day in the life of a secretary of state? Like what, what run us through a day, especially let's start with like this year with, you know, preparing for a big election. What is it? What does it look like? Well, I'm very rigorous and, and sort of metric driven and goal oriented. And so really it starts with kind of looking to see what we have planned to accomplish that day that we kind of build out. We have a strategic planning session in the beginning of every year that says like, mm-hmm. this is what we want to accomplish this year. And then we break it, break it down by this is what we want to accomplish each month, each week, each day. And then it just is about execution. And then also responding and adjusting, adapting to you know the un, 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 the emerging issues as we call right. them. And the, you know, first and foremost, I'm a mom. So taking my kid to school or daycare or camp or depending on the day mm-hmm. is always the first priority. I'm also a runner. And so I always find time to get about a 
six mile run in at some point during the day. Well, in this moment, this year, I'm both a candidate for re-election and the secretary yeah. of state. So about 80% of my time is spent actually doing my job, whether it's visiting a branch office, talking to media about, or, or, or customers, you know, drivers about what they need, or in something related to democracy, whether it's meeting with clerks or local officials to plan for the election, talking with vendors to make sure we've got everything, the materials we need to print ballots and make sure the machines are ready and educating voters, meeting with community groups to talk about elections and, and combat misinformation. So in any given day, I'm doing you know, really one of those things. And then about 20% of every day is also allocated to the actual campaign side of things where I'm raising money or meeting mm -hmm. with folks to talk about the reelection. How so many activities. <laughs> Very busy. Do you run in your sleep? Yeah. I have a treadmill in my basement. And so okay. I can like do conference calls while I'm running. If, you know, if I, if it's a, if it's a, you know, a special day, I get to run outside, but it's, it's great. Especially if I'm traveling, you know, if I'm in Muskegon, Michigan, I can wake up and run, run along the, the lake side trail they have, yeah. or in Alpena, they've got a great trail. So I get to actually know the state through the yeah. trails, which is also a great way to get to know the communities you serve. I have a few friends. I have a few friends who, you know, are runners and, you know, they'll take calls or like chat or like even when people go on runs together and like we'll chat, catch up, gossip, whatever. Yeah. I'm like, how do you run and talk? I It could never be me. It's the most impressive yeah. thing to me, but super, super impressive. But we want to dive deeper into secretaries of state and we're going to kick off our I have a stupid question segment because there is so much to learn about this role. It's so important that everyone knows about it, but let's kick it off with how are secretaries of state elected? Are they always elected or is this different per state? Can you kind of walk us through that process? It's different state by state. And I'll, I'll say at the outset, I wrote a book on the Secretary of State Office back in 2008 called Secretaries of State Guardians of the Democratic Process. So all of these questions or a lot of these questions if, or ones that we don't get to, folks can go to that and see you know, all I the different things, like how they're selected. Because we as voters in most states do choose these people who occupy the role of overseeing democracy for everyone. So it is really important that that in the, the vast majority of states where we elect secretaries of state, that all voters know how important and influential these offices are, because it truly impacts every other office. If, mm -hmm. you know, since we oversee the pathway to power and all in selecting all of those other office holders, which is essentially the power of the vote. So in about 36 states, the secretary of state oversees elections. In some other states, there is is a board of election, like in North Carolina, Wisconsin, New York, and some states, the Secretary of State is appointed, particularly by the legislature or the governor in Pennsylvania. And for example, the secretary is appointed by the governor and then New Hampshire and a lot of the New England states have appointments, New Hampshire and Maine, the legislature appoints the secretary. So it's a, it's a mixed bag, but in the vast majority of states, the citizens elect the secretary of state, usually every four years. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. We got a we got a variety pack basically is what's happening here. But to think about, you know, the actual the job, the day in the life, do secretaries of state work with the state legislatures at all? Do they work with governors and in what capacity if they do? 
Well, I am an executive officer of the state of Michigan. I am second in line to the governor. So it goes governor, lieutenant governor, and then secretary of state. So if, if both the governor and the LG are out of state, I am the acting governor. So there's all of that means they're near constant communication and coordination with other officers of the executive branch. And even though I'm independently elected, the governor appoints other executive officers. So the attorney general and the secretary of state are the other two that are elected. And then everyone else from the state treasurer to the state auditor is appointed. And so we work as part of the governor's cabinet uh, short, in, in a nutshell, but we're special along with the attorney general because we're independently elected. So not necessarily subject to what the governor decides. And then in addition to that, we work with the legislature a great deal because they write the rules and set our budget. And so we work with them to make sure we have the funds we need to do our work. And also when we see a need to adjust or amend our laws, we are, are in an ideal setting able to, to coordinate them. It doesn't always work that way. It's like asterisks <laughs> there, ideal setting. <laughs> but, you know, mechanically, that that's how it goes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And how does it work with other states? Do secretaries of state like work with other states as well? What's the relationship like there? Well, nationally, we have an association, the National Association of Secretaries of State, of which I'm the secretary. And mm. so we it's, it's a great association where we can share best practices from around the country, find camaraderie and ideas. I'm every day talking to a secretary in another state. The secretary of Alabama called me earlier today, and I'm going to be calling him back after our podcast. So, you know, to that end, we talk regularly through text change and, and other formats. Is there a group uh, text? Of all the secretaries Ooh, of state? There it is. There Stop it is. It. Yeah. Obsessed. And then there's like a separate group text just for the Democrats and a separate just for the <laughs> Wait, obsessed. I would love to be a fly on the wall in that text. We love to it's see it. It's mostly snark. <laughs> and so I mean, aren't the best yeah. ones? I mean, yeah, that's how it's supposed while, to be. I'll, I will like share an article or, <laughs> you know, make, but it's a lot of it is just, you know, people com- complaining about mm-hmm. things. And sure. uh, yeah, so I, I try to keep it productive and, <laughs> you know, have productive interactions, but sometimes it, it highlights our stark difference of leadership styles. <laughs> mm, I'm sure. Mm. I'm sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Speaking of another type of variety pack, we definitely <laughs> have that across this country. We also have different terms, I believe, in terms of how long secretaries of state are in office. What's the deal with that? Is it different per state? Yeah. What really is the, the limit there? Yeah, similarly, it varies from state to state. In Michigan, there's a it's a four-year term. That's the way it is in most states. In fact, 27 states are electing secretaries of state to a four-year term this year, this fall. Most of them happen in these sort of midterm election years. Uh, and in many cases, including Michigan, we're term limited, so we can only serve two four-year terms. And, and so this will be my second and final four-year term that I'm seeking election to this fall. And there, there's, there's benefits and drawbacks to that, but nevertheless, there will be a lot of turnover nationwide among secretaries in another four years, if not this year. Mm-hmm. So the question is like, say, you know, some people are retiring or whatnot, do they get kicked out of the group chat or are they still in it? Oh, it, sometimes. It depends who's moderate. Make a new one. I will tell you, I first ran for this office in 2010, and then the Democratic so- secretaries of state added me to their group chat and group email, and then I was not elected. I lost my first race, and they kept me in the chat. 
Way and I like, I'm like two years later, I was like, I don't know if they realize I lost. <laughs> <laughs> I love when that, I like love when that happens. You hate when that happens when you're like, I'm in this group text and I shouldn't be, and I'm just getting these notifications and I don't want them. But there's yeah, also so like, these leave. people don't, you yeah, but these people. You want to be that person that's like, Jocelyn has left the conversation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, it's why different. is that so, yeah, yeah, why does that seem like the worst thing ever? But I think anyways. Point, they were like, how much do you want to, do you want, are you trying to raise for your reelection? And I was like, I was not elected <laughs> but I did run again in 2018 and then I uh, was I was elected and so now I'm officially a member yeah of love it all the chats oh my gosh that's so funny I love that well to wrap up our I have a super question segment can you explain what a notary is and how that plays in to the secretary of state role and everything a lot of us oversee notaries, which are basically like these these stalwarts of integrity in our community who have an oath, take an oath to review someone's signature and affirm that they are who they say they are. So essentially, if there are legal documents or or foreign documents that need a signature, notary a notarized signature is when the notary will be called in to, to meet the person who's signing the document, affirm their identity, watch them sign it, and then the notary says, yep, this person really is Jane Doe. And so that is in, in our state overseen by our office, so I license all the notaries and mm. provide them with the, the, the oath and, and the other resources they need to, to perform that function. Got it. Got it. That's making me think of the petition you guys just got all those signatures for to get codifying one's right to choose on the ballot. Is that yeah. like how that process comes into play? Some things like that. It's, it's a little, it's separate, but it's similar in that we are the keeper of the great seal and we're, we're essentially art. We also keep it, the signatures on driver's license records. So we, we do manage a lot of citizens, private information, identifiable information, mm -hmm. including their signature. So it all is, 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 is connected. And that's why we get all, we evaluate all signatures for candidate petitions. If someone wants to run for office, and many times you have to collect a certain number of signatures. And then those signatures come to our office to validate because we also have the voter file. When you sign yep. a card to register to vote, we then compare that signature with the petition signatures to see if it's really the same person. And then we validate the, the candidacies that way. And we also do the same thing with ballot proposals. The extraordinary thing about the reproductive freedom initiative is they submitted close to 800,000 signatures, mm, which is more than has ever been submitted for a petition for anything in our state. Wow. So we've actually had to bring in extra temporary staff to review wow. all of these signatures and train them on how to do that and all that, just so that we can turn this around fast enough to get it on the ballot this mm -hmm. fall. Oh my gosh, that's, that's gotta be so tricky. I know that over the years, my signature has also changed, yeah, which I got called out. Actually, this was a few years ago when I was voting and they match, you know, the signature in New York and whatnot. And I like did the, my new signature, which is just me being lazy and doing like one S and you know, whatever, calling it a day. And they were like, mm, not right. And I had to like literally think back to high school me, like 18 year old uh -huh. me, like what would I have done? And I was like, oh right, I was really extra then. And I would have done curly <laughs> cues for the entire name, redid it and they were like, yeah. Yeah, like, that's the one. <laughs> I was like, mm, okay, thank God I can do a little time travel in my mind. But nonetheless, that's gotta be tricky. We do wanna talk about voting as I sort of, you know, go on my tangent here. And secretaries of state are known for protecting voter rights. Can you walk us through sort of how and why that's the case? Well, the biggest thing we do is really uphold the law and make sure that the constitutional protection of one person, one vote 
is a reality for every citizen. You know, it, it's my job essentially to increase access to the vote, make it easier for everyone to get their ballots, to return them on time, to have their voice heard, and then also to make sure the laws to protect voters' rights come to fruition, and then we educate voters about them. So for example, in 2018, Michigan voters passed a constitutional amendment giving every voter the right to vote from home. And so it was my job to actually make sure people knew how to do that in 2020. Uh, and so we sent out absentee ballot application forms to every registered voter so that they would have in their hands the form they needed to fill out if they did want to vote from home. And you know, we also passed a law in 2018 to enable citizens to register and vote on election day itself or any day prior at their clerk's office. And so we need to let people know about that, that if it's election day and you haven't registered to vote yet, you can still vote. Just go to your clerk's office, register, and you can vote right there. And so as an educator, it's important that we make these laws accessible and real to folks and, and they know what the rules are. And so we, we kind of speak the truth about the rules so that people can know their rights when it comes to voting. And then we also make them real by preparing clerks to have enough ballots on hand and all the rest so that when someone does exercise their right to vote, it's they're able to do it smoothly and securely. I have another question with that. How do people find their clerk's office? Like, is there a little search tool? What's the deal with that? Yeah. The, yes, there are. I mean, we have a website, michigan.gov slash vote. And so, it, you know, there, there are multiple ways, but it really starts with this question that we're always asking, which is how do people get their information mm-hmm. about anything? Because yeah. in order to, to, you know, so so that's, and, and everyone gets information in different ways. And since I serve all of Michigan's 10 million residents, I have to fit to every one of those ways. And so our philosophy is basically meeting people where they are. Where are people getting information? Then we go there. Sometimes people only get their information from churches or places of worship. So we go there. A lot of people do go online. So we have a very easy to access website with information about your local clerk and everything in between. And again, that's michigan.gov slash vote. And a lot of my colleagues do. You have this one web portal with all the information. We have a hotline that people can call for information. And at the local level, you can also get access to information about where your clerk is by you know, any any local government office. And in a lot of small communities, that's usually quite clear. In some of the bigger communities, it's you know through you know, making sure people know how to get to their clerk's office through other trusted sources of information and messengers is part of what we do, as well as bringing the clerk's office to the people. So in Detroit, for example, in 2020, we actually opened over a dozen satellite clerk offices all throughout the city. So that even if people didn't know where their clerk's office was and didn't have access to the internet to find out, they could see one in their own neighborhood. And in many cases, every resident was within a mile of a clerk's office and and they could hear about the location through their neighbors. Yeah, yeah. Love that. Well, moving on to what is the difference between a secretary of state and chief elections officer? Can you kind of walk us through what the different like roles are there and some similarities, maybe differences, how they come into play? It's kind of a subset of our responsibilities. And so if a secretary of state is the chief election officer, that means they are the prime you know, interpreter of election law for the state, the main educator of voters about their rights, the main person who administers elections and tries to provide parity or equality throughout the state so that wherever you are, wherever you vote, you have the same access points. And, and so we basically oversee democracy as a part of our role as Secretary of State. So Secretary of State is sort of the elected constitutional name for what I do 
for the whole state. I oversee drivers, drivers and vehicle records. I oversee the notaries. I oversee the great seal. And I also oversee elections through my role as the chief election officer. Got it. Okay. So I know we did a day in the life before, like kind of like a normal day, like in this particular year, but we do want to do like an election day, day in the life, as well as like a post. So come election day, like what's, what's that day? Like, what's the role? Like where does your job sort of come into play? And what coffee are you drinking? (laughs) And how much? I I mean, my job is essentially to be everywhere at once. And then to kind of be like the town crier, like telling everyone what's going on everywhere. Mm. And and then also rapidly responding to anything that may pop up and 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 minimizing any negative impacts of those things on our elections themselves. So it kind of gets down to three things. One, be everywhere all at once. So I actually deploy a staff. In fact, every one of my senior team members, as well as many others volunteers will be representing me throughout the state. At at every point of the day, we make sure that someone from my team is within 20 minutes of any polling place so that if something happens, they can get there right away and be Mm -hmm. there if they need to be there in person. And then they report back through kind of a tree of communication so that I can always find out what's happening everywhere through our people on the ground and the network we build. So I'm, I'm getting information through our network. We are then giving out information, updating the media and others regularly throughout the day on what we're seeing and responding to questions they have. So in that way, you know, the town crier, and then also kind of just making sure that we are, if we see any problems or if we see any patterns of problems, that we're addressing them internally and, you know, course correcting as we go and solving any problems that pop up throughout the day. If someone runs out of ballots, we make sure we get them, for example, to that precinct as soon as possible. So it's basically having eyes and ears throughout the day, telling the story of what's happening throughout the day, and then solving Mm -hmm. problems throughout the day. So much to do. Well, okay, polls are closing. We're getting into this post-election night and days after. What does that look like, especially, honestly, too, 2020 and the amount of just elections of how many have been delayed with, like, responses and media not being able to report who's winning and stuff? Can you kind of explain that and maybe even some of the drama from 2020? I'd love to know some tea. Well, the polls close at eight o'clock and then we have three counties that are in central time. So they leave, you know, basically by nine o'clock we're able to start talking about the results. At 7 a.m. on election day, the absentee ballots begin to be counted. So throughout the day, people are voting and ballots mm-hmm. that have been sent in ahead of time are being counted. So by about 8 or 9 p.m., we have, our, and, and at 9 p.m., when all the polls are closed, the precinct inspectors in charge of every precinct then basically prints out the results and gets them to the clerk. The clerk reports them up to the state. So beginning around 9 o'clock, we can usually start reporting out results as they come in. But at the same time, ballots continue to be counted until everyone is done. Usually our largest places like Detroit is the last to come in. In 2020, Detroit completed all of their counting within 24 hours of the polls closing. And so by about late in the day on Wednesday after election day, we were able to start reporting the unofficial results of the 2020 presidential election, for example. And notably in 2020, we had anticipated that bad actors, let's just say, we're going to try to confuse people about the results. We anticipated mm-hmm. some candidates would probably claim victory, perhaps wrongfully so, before all the ballots had been counted. Yeah. So we knew we had to get those ballots counted as soon as possible and start telling the truth as soon as possible. But notably, and and kind of trying to gauge the other side, I guess you could say, we told everyone that we'd be done on Friday, which is when a lot of states were done. 
Pennsylvania, Arizona, and others. And so we kind of set the expectation that you wouldn't be hearing from us about the official results until Friday, but we had them Wednesday. And so when we started reporting them on Wednesday afternoon, it, it, protesters started showing up in Detroit thinking they would still have two days to try to interfere or make problems. Oh, wow. And yet we were already done. And so Yes, there was a, you know, people showing up and claiming all these things. It was, you know, clearly a strategy, but it was a strategy that we anticipated. Yeah. And so that we were basically kind of Sweet. packing up when they arrived. Yeah. Love that. You know, so but but nevertheless, that didn't stop the mm. the challenges that we endured. That's really marked the beginning of several months of efforts to try to interfere with what is and was heretofore a very smooth election process leading up to the tragedy in our U.S. Capitol on January 6th. And so it was it, throughout that process, it was just, you know, we had done a really good job, yet every day we'd wake up and be like, okay, well, what, what, what do we have to battle today? Is this mm -hmm. the last day that we have to battle these things? Can we just go for it? And of course, it wasn't until January 6th where we realized there was not going to be a last day. We were going to have to continue these battles while also doing our work to fight down misinformation and lies through, and we're still doing it today for the years to come. Yeah, I was going to say and ask too, like Michigan was one of the states where the big lie was really just everyone was kind of all eyes on Michigan. Can you kind of explain what that was like, especially as your role of you know overseeing all of this and having kind of that pressure of like, and also false pressure of, you know, this big lie that was being spewed and all the lawsuits and things like that. Yeah. Can you walk us through what that was like? Yeah, it was it was a constant barrage of things from in a feeling like that that opponents to the results were trying to overturn them through every way they could through dozens of lawsuits, most of which, if not all of them, were meritless because there was no evidence of wrongdoings. They couldn't actually legitimately sue and say this was wrong because there was nothing that was wrong. So they would just say things and yeah. then file a lawsuit and would just have to wait and play it out. And we realized that these lawsuits were basically PR campaigns masquerading as lawsuits to try to keep this sort of narrative in the news that somehow the election was anything but accurate. And then we had to deal with legislative hearings that legislators were holding these hearings and Rudy Giuliani came to Michigan and, you know, put forward all of these false accusations that we then had to counter and rebut. And then you had protesters showing up even outside my house to say, mm -hmm. to demand that we not certify the election because they had been sort of activated by all of these questions and and evidenceless accusations into believing something untoward has happened when it actually hadn't and and so it was this constant battle between truth and lies frankly to kind of continue to speak the truth and and to do so through an escalating exponential growth of of voices that were voices yeah, yeah. lies through various different corners and then it, it just you know would wake up every monday thinking okay we're going to get this this done this week and then remember because i'm like goal oriented right like yeah. every day mm -hmm. every week so I'm like, okay, this week we're going to do these things and then it's finally going to be over. And every week we would have to battle back new right. accusations, new lawsuits, new press conferences. But through it all, my job was twofold. One, protect the results that were very clear and accurate and make sure that nothing actually happened to undo the sending of the electors to Congress mm -hmm. and all of that that we had to do to make real the will of the people in that election. And then secondly, speak publicly about the truth to attempt to cut through the noise and give citizens the confidence and clarity 
that they deserved, that their election actually was accurate, even if folks didn't agree with the results. And, and so it's kind of both of those things. And with, again, an eye towards, it's like running a marathon thinking, okay, now I'm at mile 25, now I'm at mile 26, and now it's keep, it hasn't ended. Yeah. <laughs> One mile, it felt like every day, the end of the marathon kept getting extended. Mm-hmm. And, and again, with January 6th, we saw that there was really no bottom and, and that all of it was, was not over and wasn't going to be over until the next presidential election, which is what we've been preparing for ever since. I wish I was in the group chat from November 2020 to January 2021. No, you don't. Because here's the thing. My experience in Michigan was very similar to Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona, Mm -hmm. Nevada. Did you All guys have us, a different group chat? I wanted to We will. Next time we will. Yeah. Trust me. Well, we didn't. That's, I mean, I was talking. But there, state but, group but, chat. Exactly. The battlegrounds. Mm-hmm. And so that is part of what I'm trying to build for 24 because we okay. weren't really coordinating. But our experiences were remarkably similar because we were all battling right. the same strategy. Right. But in every other state, they didn't have those experiences. In Ohio, in Colorado, in Minnesota, in West Virginia. And so it, there was a real disconnect and there continues to be, frankly, to this day between those of us who went through this personally mm-hmm. and, and those who oh, didn't yeah. And, yeah. and multiple reactions of those who didn't. Some people like claiming they did, some people yelling at us because we did, you know, just all this stuff. But it is a real schism within the community yeah. that I've at first was frustrated by, but now I've just come to resolve and be like, you know, the six of us in these six states, our world is just very different. And, you know, I hope that at some point everyone else listens to what we experienced and tries to learn from us in case it comes to their state, because what we're seeing now in New Mexico and others, you know, is that they're starting to experience some of what we experienced and have been experiencing for the last few years. And they're like, oh my goodness, someone tried Mm -hmm. to block certification of an election. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I told you so. Ago, like, we could be happy to tell you about our experiences. So yeah, anyway, it's a, it's just this fascinating schism that is, you know, unfortunate because, but but at the same time, it's, you know, everything is more nuanced and complicated than all that. But at the same, yeah, time, no, that's really interesting experiences. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like so much of the time, like with politics, it's like literally yelling into an abyss, and no one okay. listens until it happens to them, and you're like. Yeah. We, yep. did you turn your headphones off like it's kind of yeah. that scenario so I wish I could say I was like surprised by that type of reaction but ah but speaking of this role and how you know obviously it protects democracy protects voters we also know that some of the conversation recently has been how it can be manipulated against voters and has been kind of this tool of the far right in elections and whatnot can you walk us through how that's possible how this role can be put into not the wrong light but I guess manipulated into doing the wrong things well I mean really democracy prevailed in 2020 because of people and particularly people in positions of authority who acted with integrity and did the right thing to protect to follow the law and protect our results and and then speak the truth in 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 response to misinformation that was flowing from every which way and and so if you can imagine the opposite of, of bad actors in positions of authority doing everything differently, you know, saying yes 
when the president calls and says, find me 11,000 votes instead of saying no, as Brett Raffensperger did in Georgia, yeah. or saying, refusing to certify an election, even though you have a legal responsibility to do so simply because you disagree with the results. Or instead of using these, these positions as platforms to educate voters about what's really happening and to provide that clarity about that the truth can provide, using instead using these positions to spread falsehoods and, and even validate false information as opposed to debunking it. So it really is pro highly problematic if you have people in these roles who don't abide by the law, but still, but instead abide by kind of a partisan agenda. And, and that's why in many cases, these elections, especially this year for secretaries of state are so critical because, you know, the story I just told you about November, 2020, my opponent is actually someone who was there trying to protest outside of Detroit's elections in 2020 to stop us from counting valid votes. So, and has refused to acknowledge the, the truth about the 2020 election. And, and so it's, you know, this election is, you know, particularly in the battleground states where chief election officers will be selected by voters like Nevada, like Arizona, like Georgia and Michigan, that you have a situation where truly the future of our democracy is, is on the ballot. Mm -hmm. Totally. So crazy. Can you also walk everyone through to why Michigan all eyes are really on Michigan, why it's this battleground state and why, you know, protecting yeah. this role is so important and really what's at stake in Michigan this year, but even in 2024? Well, I think two things. One, Michigan really is a microcosm for the country. So much of what we experience here does does show up in other states later or is a canary for what could happen mm -hmm. elsewhere. And not to mention our demographics really reflect the diversity of the nation from our Arab American population to our large Jewish communities to our um, diverse cities uh, and our rural areas in Northern Michigan. So we really have a little bit of everything that, and, and reflect the diversity of the country in that regard amongst our 10 million citizens. And then on top of that, secondly, we are a state that of, of really independence where voters will sometimes go with the Republican candidate and sometimes go for the Democratic candidate. Our governor's office usually flips every eight years, one time to a Dem, one time to Republican. So we've really got a very kind of thoughtful, multi-partisan electorate. And that's the reason why our state went for Trump in 2016 and went for Biden in, in 2020. So, so really Michigan is a key tipping point for democracy because we're a purple state. And, and we also have a reputation for having very safe, secure, accurate election results. So we're working to protect all of that, but also try to tell our story to the nation because what happens in Michigan often does end up happening in many other states. Right. Canary in the coal mine. Yep. Classic, last technology. <laughs> I honestly have been saying it a lot recently and I don't know why. So maybe there's also just like a verbal trend going on right now. I'm just saying it now. Girl in the Gov, Secretary of State, Canary in the Coal Mine, it's all coming together. I see it. But <laughs> nonetheless, Trap, we do want people to be able to support your campaign, find your campaign, all that good stuff. Can you give us the plug? Where can they find you? VoteBenson.com. And you can find me on social media, basically at Jocelyn Benson on various Twitters and Instagrams and all the rest. But votebenson.com is our, our internet home, our website. Love, Love it. it. Well, thank you for coming on. This was such a good explainer of this role. We've been wanting to do this and we know how important sure. it is that everyone understands this role and what's at stake this year, not only in Michigan, but across the country with voting up and down the ballot and making sure you're voting for secretaries of state who will protect democracy 
ingrain it in your brain, everybody who's listening. But thank you again for coming on. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. It was a great conversation, a lot of fun. Thanks. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.